James chapter 3, verse 1, James writing to, remember, Jews who had become Christians who were scattered, persecuted, he calls them my brethren. Let not many of you become teachers, knowing that you will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. There should be a lot of amens there. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If you're perfect, I'll meet you in the cafe, buy you a cup of coffee. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth that they might obey us, and we turn their whole body. And look at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, and again, the pilot can move them wherever he desires. Even so the tongue, a little among the members, boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. The tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set against our members, the body here, that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it, the tongue, is set on fire by hell, by Gehenna. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Here's the tragedy, verse 9. With it we bless God our Father, and with it we curse men who are made in the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be so. And then he asked this question, does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Thus, no spring yields both salt and fresh water. Now, it's hard to read these 12 verses and not have a little bit of conviction come over you, right? I mean, we realize God's standard. We realize all God wants us to be. And thank God for grace, right? You know, I read through this chapter, I'm like, oh gosh, I am... So sorry, Lord, for the people that I have spoken to and I've offended you. You know, it, it, it's just a great time for repentance when you see the standard God has here. And, and I think what James is trying to say, and, and look at the metaphors he uses, right? He, he didn't even understand the power of our day. He didn't understand nuclear power or jet propulsion. You know, these rudimentary ideas of a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder on a ship, what James is saying is, Words are powerful. In fact, the phrases that you and I speak every day may be, may be the most powerful thing on the planet. And words, and we have this power, we have this influence with words, we can shape human destiny. We really can. We can chart the course not only of our lives, but the lives of those around us. So James is telling us here, and he's telling the people of this new community built on faith, hope, and love, that guys, we gotta get this right. We gotta speak faith-filled words. Now, this is pretty evidence when you open your Bible. In the book of Genesis, when God creates the world, he speaks it into existence. He says, light be. And now we're learning from science that light may have never stopped. We know the universe is still expanding. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not. It may be an urban legend. But supposedly, if you were outer, in outer space somewhere in the universe, and if you had the right equipment, you could actually pick up like a Dodgers-Reds game from the 1950s. Because words are still out there. So it's possible that the words we speak are always living. Jesus said, we're going to give an account for every idle word we've ever spoken. Now, because James talks about the tongue in every chapter, 
and 10% of the book really is about words in the tongue, many commentators say this is the Proverbs of the New Testament. Now, I would disagree because here's the first idea. Why do we need another book of Proverbs? These are Jewish people. They're very familiar with the book of Proverbs. And so I don't think we need more proverbial wisdom. Proverbs has over 40 verses about the tongue and language and speaking wholesome words. I think, again, what James is driving at, and we've already looked at it for a bunch of Sundays, he's saying, look, no one is justified by faith only. In other words, you just can't say I'm a person of faith. There has to be evidence. You know, good ground bears good fruit. And, and the fruit is works, certainly. You know, we don't work our way to God's favor, but once we have God's favor, it produces works. And James is saying one of the signs of someone who's been transformed, one of the signs of a true follower of Christ is the language that comes out of our mouths. Jesus was very revealing in this regard. Uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, Jesus said this. This is Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. He said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slander. Only the Jews had this concept in the Hebrew Bible of the heart being the seat of the mind, the will, the emotions, what we would call the inner man. Jesus went on to say that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So th this isn't about taming the tongue. This isn't about being a better person and learning to speak well. Christianity is not a self-help movement. I hope everybody understands that. Now, I fully acknowledge you can read Proverbs even as an unbeliever or non-follower of Christ and probably be more successful in life. Those principles are generally the way life works. But that's not what we're looking at here. James is arguing for the transformation of the heart, a born-again experience. That's why he says, can, can, one, can one spring bring forth fresh water and salt water? And the idea is no. Seed produces after its kind. So an untransformed heart brings out all these evil thoughts, and a transformed heart brings out these wonderful, faith-filled ideas and words. James is saying, what is at stake here, people? There are these new communities going into all the world of faith, hope, and love, where it's going to be marked by real faith and authenticity, and it's those communities that are going to reach the world and reach lost people. Because in James' mind and my mind, this is the only hope for our world. It's the only hope of people finding salvation is to have their lives transformed from the inside out. So James begins to write here about what that looks like, what a life looks like from a changed heart. Let me repeat one more time. Um, you're never going to nail this, right? I, I've seen all these titles on James chapter 3, like how to tame the tongue. You can't tame the tongue. How do I know? Because most of you, it's 1141, have already stumbled in this area, right? Verse 8 says, uh, we stumble in many things, certainly in our words, right? How many of us would love to reel back some of the words we've ever spoken, right? And even today, you probably got up, and by 1141, you've already blown it. And that's why we have grace, right? That's why it's so important to understand we have grace and confession. Here's another reason you're never going to nail this. Uh, kind of look this up for you guys. If you live to 70, you're going to speak 860 million words. 860 million words. Uh, the guys speak about 20,000 words a day. The women, 35,000. Now, the Bible says we should dwell with them in love, right? 
So I'll give you some marriage counseling here, James 1.19. Every man, listening guys, this could help you. Every man should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. They got to get their 35,000 words in, is the idea. I was listening to Juliet Funk give a talk. She's really funny. She's Alan Funk's daughter, if you remember Candid Camera. And she was driving one day, she had a toddler in the back seat, and she said he was toddler looping. We never had that word when my kids were toddlers. That means he's repeating the same phrase over and over again. Mommy, red fire truck. Mommy, red fire truck. Mommy, red fire truck. And he was driving her out of her mind, but she had what she calls an aha moment, she pulled to the side of the road. And she said, this is what my husband has felt like since the time we met. And she went home and she said, Sonny, you're never gonna believe it. Uh, honey, you're never gonna believe it. You know, I was driving and our son was saying, red fire truck, red fire truck, and I had an aha moment. You must feel like this every day. And he had a blank stare in his face. A little tear came to his eye and he looked at the ceiling and he said, thank you, Jesus. She said, the remarkable thing is we're Jewish. <laughs> So 860 million words, and Jesus said, if you speak one idle word, there'll be a judgment. So there's no way we can nail that. There's no way without the power of God in a transformed heart. How many idle words have we spoken? Probably thousands. How many words will we want back? How many, how many times have we spoke to parents or the people that we love, our spouses and our kids, and said things we wish we could redact? How many of us wish we never had hit the send button on our computer, right? How many presidential candidates wish they had their words that they spoke 30 years ago back? We all stumble in this. And the beautiful thing is God's grace is there. So what I want to speak to you today about is the power of words and how it can transform who we are, our families, our churches, and our businesses, you know, everything that we do. We can be people that speak faith-filled words. John Wooden was arguably the greatest coach who's ever lived. He coached UCLA basketball. They won 11 straight NCAA championships. That's March Madness, but it wasn't March Madness then. 11 straight, a record that'll never be broken. He was not only a coach, but a mentor of men. There are scads of books written about Wooden or Wooden wrote, leadership books, etc. But out of everything I've ever, ever read about Wooden, this is the one that stuck with, stuck with me. He said, there's five things I'll never understand about life, and I'm going to give you one of them. He said, if it's so hard to build, why do we tear down? Wooden said, if you look at this world, it's so hard to build something. We're going so much against the grain that when you finally build it, why would anyone ever tear it down? Think of a dad who spends hours and hours to build his child a sandcastle, and then the waves just come and knock it down. So easy to tear down. Think of parents who spend all their days trying to infuse their children with self-worth and confidence, and then one bully comes and eradicates all of that. Think about a leader who spends a lifetime building a stellar reputation in an organization only for one blogger or one journalist to destroy that reputation and all that leader has built. It's so easy to tear down. Joseph Stowell, who was president of Moody, Said recent studies tend to disprove the saying many of us grew up with. Six sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Adults polled said they had gotten over most of the physical pains of childhood, but many had never fully recovered from hurtful words. Names, labels that have been placed on them, physical 
wounds heal as evidence from scars we carry, but verbal wounds frequently refuse to close, oozing pain and keeping us tender and vulnerable. We must be constantly aware that our words carry impact. They affect our children, our students, our spouses, our friends, our neighbors, and our business associates. That's why God holds us accountable for every careless word, Matthew 12, 36. Yet controlling the words that come out of our mouth is a huge challenge. Huge. Why is it huge? Well, how about family of origin? We didn't all grow up in the same family. Some of you grew up in families that were quiet, dinner was quiet, everybody was reserved. Other people grew up with yelling and screaming and verbal abuse. I have watched people yell and scream, and then later I'll say, you know, why do you guys yell and scream? And they're like, well, we never yell and scream. Like, in other words, that's just par for the course. Uh, some families, you know, lying is, is rampant and, and, and all these different behaviors. That's just family of origin. Then, then you have our culture. You know, sometimes when we go to the mission field, when we're in Africa and, and, and they watch our movies, they're appalled how our teenagers in movies act towards parents. We have the hardness of our fault, the fallenness. A lot of us have anger issues we've never dealt with. Read the book of Proverbs about anger. Anger produces hurtful words. Some of us have been hurt and hurt people hurt people. Some of us never dealt with things from childhood. I mean, you go on and on, and there's a reason why we stumble in this, guys. There's a reason I stumble and you stumble, but there's something God wants to do in each and every one of us. I want to take you through three destructive patterns of words and tell us how we can kind of reboot this for the better. Again, we'll never be perfect, but I think we can give it a shot. Uh, the first devastating force of words is the worst, and it's lying. Uh, lying is such a devastating force, it was made a commandment. The ninth, thou shalt not lie. Uh, I kind of spruced it up a little bit. I think that commandment's saying, don't lie ever about anything to anyone. Just never lie. Very clear. And I think I know why God gave that commandment. Because God in his essence, think about this, He's many things. He's love, right? God is love. That doesn't mean God loves you. It means he's never not loving you. He's never not love. He's never not truth. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. God is always truthful. There's never anything about God that's not truth-telling. See, this is at the heart of who God is. Thy word is truth, Jesus said. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus said that Satan is a liar and that when he lies, he lies from his innermost being. John MacArthur once, just, uh, once said that if on a Monday morning, if everybody started telling the truth, the whole world would collapse, every system of the world, because it's all built on lies. Proverbs says you and I, brand new babies like we just dedicate, come out of the womb speaking lies. It's part of our nature before Christ. Now the beautiful thing is, a transformed heart can transform all of this. Um, God wants us to be truth tellers. He's a truth teller. Now, there's a practical side to all this. HR executives were polled that when they're looking for employees, at the top of their list is character, and at the top of that list is able to trust someone. Soon as someone lies to you, trust has been broken, and it's very difficult to build that trust back up. 
Second problem with lying is it intrinsically destroys the lying person. You ever hear that phrase? You know, she's starting to believe her own lies or he's starting to believe his own lies. In chapter 3, verse 1, there's a verse that may have confused you where James says, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing you shall receive a stricter judgment. And you look at that verse and you think, well, what's James trying to do? Deplete the teaching force in the church? Like scare people out of being teachers? Like we need teachers in the church. But I think what James is saying here is, if you're going to teach, if you're going to lead a Bible study, if you're going to teach Sunday school, if you're going to do what I'm doing, you're going to traffic in words. You're going to speak a lot of words. And when you speak words, you're going to influence people, right? Like the rudder, you're going to influence them for right or wrong or true doctrine or false doctrine. But I think James is arguing for something even greater than that. When you go back and look at Timothy and Titus, where you look at the requirements of a church leader, uh, it's to be the husband of one wife, able to rule your house. Uh, a lot of it is character. And I think what James is saying here is that, that integrity in the life of the teacher must be a constant when he's in or out of the pulpit. In or out of the pulpit. The idea, he, he's not a two-faced man. He's the same man. Again, a stumbling man, but the same man. Think that has any relevance today? For those of you who follow the news or reading about Hollywood executives or the White House, like, you, you see where this has gone amok? You know, all these revelations coming out of these people in power, abusing power. I also like what James does here. James knew, as human beings, we would have the proclivity to put teachers on a pedestal like celebrity pastors or church leaders. Corinthian church had that, right? People liked Apollo, no, I like Peter, no, I like Paul. And then Paul gives that rhetorical argument, you know, did Apollos die for you, did Peter die for you? Nothing wrong with having a preference. But the beauty of the Bible here is, look, just because somebody has a teaching gift doesn't mean they're greater than anybody else. And he kind of humbles down this gift. And so don't a lot of you be teachers because there will be a stricter judgment. One of the amazing things in the family that we raised is I can't think of one time any member in our family ever lying to one another. And you probably leave here and say, oh, isn't Pastor Bob naive? You know, his kids hit everything. Yeah, I'm dead serious. My kids are all here today probably. You could interview them, interview my wife. I don't think there is a time where any of us lied to one another. And you might think, well, how do we do that? I don't know. It was part of our culture. And it certainly wasn't part of my family of origin. Uh, I remember my dad one time sitting us around, something that happened, and there were people coming over. He said, look, everybody get around the table. We're going to get the lie straight. That's how I grew up. I had a front row seat at deception. But Christ changes all that. And so may we be truth tellers. Whether it hurts us or helps us, we're called to tell the truth all the time. Now, Jesus was full of grace and truth. Truth without grace is really harsh. And grace without truth doesn't help anybody. May we always speak the truth in love with a tremendous amount of grace. And you could throw Matthew 18 in here and a whole bunch of other things. We'll talk about that at some other time. But basically, we need to be people that are above board in character and never lie. That'll build healthy community, healthy families, healthy institutions.
The second destructive communication force is slander and gossip. The hardest or most difficult thing about slander is gossip is that when you talk about another person, they're not there to defend themselves. Now, for some of you who need like a counseling 101 briefing, um, sometimes a wife will come to you and dump on you this unbelievable story about what her husband does for you. Well, if you run off and you're furious at him, you don't know the first thing about counseling because there's her story and then there's his story. And guess what? There's a third part. There's the truth, right? So there's three sides to every story. There's one side, the other side, and the truth. Uh, again, one of the problems with gossip is the other person's not there to tell their side of the story. The Old Testament calls a gossip a talebearer. Chapter 18, verse 8 says, the words of a gossip or a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down sweet into the innermost body. There's something about hearing juicy gossip, right? There's something about being in the know. There's something about it. And gossip isn't just one to the other. It's the other person listening. It takes two to tango in this one, right? There's a book that came out recently by a prominent author where he spends the whole entire chapter one talking about how terrible the American church is, and he gives three examples. Now, the first two examples I knew were wrong. First of all, they came from a source, a disgruntled secretary, whatever, and plus I had inside knowledge of these two churches, so I knew it was flat out wrong. The third story concerned me because I didn't know much about it. So I went to one of my staff members and I said, look, I want you to take this story. I want you to fact check it. Take all the time you need. Come back and tell me what's going on here. The third story was about a church in New York that supposedly had an open bar at their baptism. Uh, the author was trying to make the point that they were watering down the gospel and having an open bar to draw a crowd. Really concerned me. Uh, the staffer came back to me and said, no, that's not what happened. Uh, they rented a hotel, and to get to the pool, you had to go buy an open bar, so the church had nothing to do with it. Remember what John Wooden said? It's so hard to build, why would you ever tear down? And yet, in one chapter, 35 years of ministry were torn down by a stroke of the pen, by somebody who didn't even do their due diligence to fact check. Our words matter. They're powerful. How many people now have spread that story? On and on and on. Uh, maybe we should do this as we enter our church. Maybe it should say you are now entering a slander-free environment. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, only that which is good for edification. Gosh, we've all stumbled in that, right? One of the ways to stop gossip you're gonna love this, it's not rocket science, is don't listen, right? Proverbs 26, 20 said, where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no gossip, strife ceases. Oh, you gotta hear this, man, you're not gonna, hey, I don't wanna hear it. Why don't you go talk to that person about it, clean it up, you know. It's a struggle, guys, I know. But if we want a stress-free environment, if we want an environment where wholesome things could happen, it's one of the things we're gonna have to clean up. I've been a part of it, you've been a part of it. No one's, you know, no one's scot-free on this one. But James is saying we can do better. 
The third one is really a sensitive one for me, and that is foul language. Now, I know it's popular today, especially among millennials, to say, oh, they're just words. It's no big deal. Well, it's a big deal to me. I grew up in locker rooms, uh, and yet the day I came to Christ, this is something God took out of my life forever, just instantly. To this day, when I hear those words, I cringe. I cringe at movies. I cringe when people say it, especially people in professional environments. The professional environment I worked at at a Fortune 500 company, these words were never used in important meetings, and I hear they are now. But I never like hearing these words. For those who think it's not a big deal, listen to this from Colossians chapter three. If you were raised with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind not on temporary things of the earth, but in the heavenly. For if you died, that's the whole idea of being born again, and your life is hidden in Christ, when Christ is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. Now, therefore, put to death your members on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. We would all say they have to go, right? Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked according to them. You were once that stream. The idea is you're a new stream, a new man. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language. There is nothing more revealing of a lost nature than someone just ripping a stream of curse words. I mean, if the tongue is set on fire by hell, those words are certainly set on fire by hell. Take it one more step farther. Not only don't I like foul language, when it demeans women, I hate it even more, and I did before I was a Christian. Never liked it before I was a Christian when people would talk about women in vulgar terms. I have three sisters, three daughters. There's no place for it uh, in any setting whatsoever. James is saying, we can turn the corner on this one. We can speak edifying words. In fact, there's so much at stake here. This is how the church is going to be built, with people with real faith and real love and real hope. Now, let's get to the positive. If a rudder could change the direction of a ship, do you know you can change the direction of someone's life and your own? There's countless stories in the Bible um, I love Proverbs 18, 21. Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit thereof. My favorite story I've ever read was by a book I picked up in Barnes & Noble called The Whisper Test. The author of the book said, I grew up knowing I was different and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate when I started school, and my classmates made it clear that how I looked different from all the others. I was the girl with the misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates ask, what happened to your lip, I tell them I cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside of my family could ever, ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in second grade whom we all adored. Her name was Mrs. Leonard, a sparkling personality. Actually, we had a t hearing test one day, and Mrs. Leonard gave the hearing test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. 
I knew from the past years that we would stand against the door, cover one ear, and the teacher would sit at her desk and she would whisper something that we would have to repeat back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl, I wish you were mine, I choose you. I think I've shared with you before a pastor who I read about who would, before he put his daughter or his son to bed, would say, if I could line up all the boys in all the world, I'd still choose you. And if I could line all the girls up in the world, I'd still choose you. And then I read about Jesus and what blew people away about Jesus is he would come to people and say, I choose you, regardless of their background. And the Bible says he chose us. We didn't choose him, he chose us. And it's a beautiful truth to understand there's a God who has written this letter to us, the Bible, and how it speaks of God's intimacy toward us. Words are powerful. Words are intimate. Words build intimacy. They build family relationships. They build almost everything quality that we appreciate. And every once in a while, words can change our world. One of the most famous words ever spoken in any speech were by Martin Luther King Jr., his I Have a Dream speech, we all know it. Writing at the start of the civil rights movements where things were terrible for African Americans, he said, I have a dream that one day, and he never saw it, and we haven't seen it in its fullness, but it's a way farther ahead than it's ever been, that I have a dream one day where my children, my four children, will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And we're getting closer and closer to that day. The problem with King is nobody reads his sermons. He was a preacher. In a 1957 sermon, when death threats were on his life and people spoke horrific things to him, he said, hate for hate multiplies hate and darkness, deeper darkness, to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness can never drive out darkness, King said. Only light can do that. That's why he was a pacifist. That's why he never argued back at people. He told his congregation, we must find the voice of love. We must open our lives to God in Christ and become new creations. King said this experience Jesus spoke about was called the new birth. He said it was the essence if we were to be, listen to this, transformed nonconformists. King said without a transformed heart, none of this is going to work. Only through an inner spiritual transformation, King said, do we have the power and the strength to fight vigorously to the end with a humble and a longing spirit for change. And the rest is history. And James is telling us the same thing. He said the alternative in chapter four is to bite and devour one another. But James says people have a genuine faith. Again, we're not perfect, we all stumble. Every married couple is gonna argue, we're all gonna say things we shouldn't say. It's all covered by God's grace. But James says if you could get, ever get on top of this, if you could ever get and understand the power of a culture that can be built based on what comes out of your heart, James said, it would change the world. And it has. It has. The power of words has changed our world forever. There is nothing more powerful than the spoken word, especially when it's God's word. So I think as we look at this, 
the best way to end. And I think James puts it really clear. He says here that with the same mouth, verse 9, we bless our God and Father and we curse men. This ought not to be so. When I was preparing this week, I thought about what we do at the front of all our services, and that's worship. Worship to me is the great equalizer. I don't think there's ever been a time where I've ever walked into a building or a small group or anything where people were worshiping where I just didn't break out in praise. The Bible tells us out of the wells of salvation, out of that transformed heart, in one brief and shining moment together, we offer God the fruit of our lips, the sacrifice of praise. In one shining moment, we're all aligned speaking faith-filled words. And because we're on earth, it's fleeting, right? Revelation 4 says one day it won't be fleeting. Every tribe, every kindred, every tongue will all be around the throne of God. But until that day, that's what I appreciate about worship. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. I want you all to stand. And this is our chance to ascribe to God out of the wells of salvation the faithful words that are due his name.